You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. As I woke up this morning, these are some thoughts that occurred to me. The title of this message is Like a Child, and it is a teaching based upon what Jesus says concerning uh, something that happened with his disciples. You understand that Jesus, three and a half years in his public ministry, walked with man and he had a very difficult task given to him by the Father. And I know from experience the weight of such a task and the Lord puts within your scope of influence people who listen to what you have to say and if you are dependent upon the Father as the source of information, He will feed you the words to feed them. He will give you what is necessary to feed the sheep, as he told uh, Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed them. We do that. And Jesus came to do exactly that. He, he laid out the, the image of how we're supposed to operate in earthly ministry. Come and teach and preach with love. And he was given this task to take these men, uh, that's us, human beings, and reprogram them. And it was very difficult because they had already been programmed for many years. Some of them uh, beyond 30 years from what we can put together. We know they were approximately the age of Christ, some a little younger, some older. So um, these are people that have already seen a lot of things and lived a lot of life and learned a lot of lessons. And by the time you are 30, you pretty much have figured out who you are as a person, your personality, your characteristics. But the question is... What source of material have you learned from? And what has been the mold that you have shaped yourself to be like? And Jesus had this task to take these men and turn them into something that they were not. And so throughout the entire time that we see him in dialogue with the disciples, it's reprogramming. Reprogramming. All the time he's saying, well, you know, you have heard it said that. However... Like, that's pretty much all they ever said. Well, you know this. In everything they spoke, Jesus said something contrary to it. Every time they mentioned something in some attempt to sound wise, like feeling that maybe they're starting to figure something out, Jesus brought correction and said, no, that's not the way it is. It's constantly he was correcting them. And I'm sure even from the perspective of the disciples, it must have gotten a little tiresome at times. Of course, they submitted to him as a teacher, so they were ready to learn. But I'm sure that sometimes it was a challenge for them even, because everything out of his mouth was correction. Read, read through the Gospels, always. They would try to say something that they figured out that was right, or that they had a feeling. They were sure that the man born blind was blind because of some kind of sin. The question wasn't that whether it was sin or not, it was who sinned? Him or his parents? Why would this happen to him? And Jesus said, neither. And he often would bring correction and say, that's, just, that's not the way it is. And he would begin to teach analogies or uh, parables about the kingdom perspective. And that's the whole thing, the kingdom perspective. So... One of these lessons that I talk about frequently in different passages in the Gospels, we see verse 1 of chapter 18 of Matthew where it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this question it comes amidst a conversation concerning greatness. And humanity seems to always judge itself by one's greatness. But when we say greatness or the quality of an individual, what does that mean? How do we uh, judge a man? And the scale by which people are weighed and the meter by which people are measured, really, those things are built on or according to the standards of this world. So one of the most difficult tasks for Jesus and for the Word of God for us in our life today is to correct our misunderstanding. It's not easy to learn a new metric. It's not easy to learn a new standard, a new scale, a new understanding. It's a paradigm shift greater than any you'll ever have to go through. And it reminds me when I um, 
got saved. I received Jesus. Of course, that was a radical change about the ideals because, you know, what the world considers important really is not, that's not how God sees it. Remember what we've just seen recently in the life of David and his anointing by Samuel when he anointed him. Samuel did not want to anoint David. He wanted to anoint the first son because he was tall. And God corrected him and said, don't look at the outside. God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart. And so we know that there's a different standard. But man always tries to judge by their own standard. We use these measuring rods to try to determine what is right, what is wrong. And in one story we see Jesus and he's teaching them. He had, he had to find a way in light of what they've said here. Who they, in other words, they're looking to be great. That's the bottom line. In fact, related to this same in another gospel is where the mother of um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, are employed. She's employed by the sons because they know Jesus has a soft spot for women, uh, as most men do. So they get their mother to go and ask for what? Specific places in the hierarchy of the government of what they supposed, using the metric of life on earth, they decided we want a place at the right and the left of Jesus. So they get their mother to go and say, uh, will you grant what I ask? And Jesus, of course, wise enough, said, well, it depends on what you're asking. I'm paraphrasing, but it does. It depends on what they're asking. Well, grant that my sons can sit at your right and your left in your kingdom. In other words, when he takes his kingdom, which they still had the earthly mentality that he perhaps would uh, oust the Romans and set up a government, and that he would be the great warrior that would take over and they would follow him. That's why they had swords. Uh, you know, are these enough? Yes, more than enough. And that's why he cut off Malchus's ear. They had this mentality, although Jesus spent three and a half years trying to get it out of them, correcting them constantly. They just didn't listen. But in that moment, they wanted to sit at the right and the left, and Jesus brought correction and said, no, 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 hey, listen to me. And he explained some things. Now, the same issue is showing up again and again at this question, who's the greatest? Because they didn't want to know who's the greatest so they could say, oh, that one's the greatest. They wanted to know who's the greatest because we want to be the greatest. In other words, they wanted to say, well, you guys are the greatest. You're the most wonderful. And that's just the way that we think. But we need to learn a new system. And, and Jesus really had to find a way to teach them this lesson. And in the, in the passage we're about to see, he, he brought the correction and he used the child as the object of analogy to instruct them. And this is what he does. He takes a child and he stands, them, he stands the child in front of them and says some very important things with the child standing there in their midst. And that's really what we're going to see tonight. And we're going to see the title of the message, Like a Child, Five Things Jesus Wants. Because in the passage, he talks about what he wants. And this is a response to the question. Go look at any way the disciples ever ask a question. There's always a lecture. Because he's a teacher. You ask a teacher a question, and he answers. I like that format. I don't mind. In fact, when we do the program, I do a lot of teaching because we have a lot of material to, to cover. But sometimes we're, we are more relaxed if it's a break, and questions are asked, and a greater anointing sometimes will come at that moment than even during the standard class. Because you're drawing on uh, the wisdom of God. You're drawing on the anointing, and that's an important time. And Jesus had this all the time with the disciples, but he's using a child... As this, and I, I think of how difficult it was for them because the closest thing I could think of in my practical physical life outside of getting saved was when I became a missionary. Because specifically about measures and standards, I was raised with a different system of measure. I didn't know the metric system at all. Nothing. I had no knowledge of what, how you measure and, and weigh and do. I did not know what a kilo was. I could have never told you what a kilometer was. To save my life, I could not show you with my fingers how big a meter was. No knowledge at all. Why? Because we just don't use that standard. In the 1970s, they tried to enforce it, and the government even tried, but, you know, Americans are so hard-headed, they were like, nope, we're not doing that. And nobody cooperated. They wanted to globalize, and no, but they wouldn't do it. And there's different standards in different countries, right? Like one of the oddest standards I've heard is that someone weighs a certain amount of stone. You hear that about weight. 
I still don't know what a stone is. And I mean, you probably do too. And of course, in England, that's common. But in America, we have feet, inches, yards, miles. And all of my logic, still to this day, that's, that's the system of measurement that I understand. If you tell me five kilos, I have to mathematically add 2.2 times each of the kilos to match my pants so that I can understand what you're talking about. And I have lived, I have lived in metric system environments for 30 years that only use metric, you understand? I mean, in Mexico, and that was the big shift. When I moved to Mexico, suddenly the speed limit sign was telling me I could do 100 miles per hour. And I thought, this is awesome. You can really go fast in this country. Well. That is actually 65 miles per hour because it's 100 kilometers an hour. But I'm like, I'm going 100 miles an hour. Why? Because I didn't know the standard of measurement. I didn't know weights. I didn't know anything. It took a long time. I have a pretty good grasp on it now. But I'm, I'm using this as an analogy that you understand. The disciples, their me our measurement about humanity, about value, about all these things, seems to be a different system. And God's system is a whole nother system. And we need to learn the heaven system. Because if not, we won't make it. Because in the kingdom, there's only one system used, and it's the heaven system. So they use um, uh, heavenetrics, you know, whatever you want to call it. It is the measurement that heaven uses, and it is not even close to our measurements and our standards. It is, it is even quite elusive sometimes. Even it seems like there seem to be variables even in the translation. Because God has a whole different understanding. And that's why the best people that we can look at to study in our life, in our time, in our demographs of our strata of society are children. And this is what Jesus did. Immediately, he's trying to explain to them, so he takes a child. And these are the five things. Number one, Jesus wants us to learn the image of a child. Matthew 18, 2, he called a little child and had him stand among them. Specifically, it says a little child because when you say child, you might think uh, up to 17 years old. From my perspective, as a 50-year-old, I think of someone who's 17 still as a child. No insult, but I don't quite see. In 18, you know, by law, it's an adult, right? Not so much. I don't quite see it like that. 18, 19, 20 years of age when someone, I think maybe, maybe around 25, then, oh, okay, I start thinking of that. That's why it says specifically a little child because a bigger child would be different, but he's talking about a little child. So you're, I'm imagining eight years old, seven, six maybe, small. So I want us to start to have the mentality that what, what is the object that he's trying to teach us? He's trying to show us he takes this child in response to what they've said. They said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he said, wait, you got the wrong idea. Your standards are off. So, hey, hey son, come here. And he calls this child over. And he stands the child in front of the disciples. And he points to them. And then points to the child. And he starts teaching. Now, he often has dealt with children in his ministry. We'll see another mention, Luke 18, 15. Remember what happens there, people? We're also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. There's a term again, little children. And do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And this is interesting in our first point here as we're looking at Jesus wants us to learn the image of a child because this is a template for us to change ourselves. So the image that he gives us of a child, and he mentions something very important as he embraced the children. He didn't do this because he was especially loving, but because he it was correct. That that often we will separate children from adults in such a way and see them in a way where Jesus did not. Jesus liked the children. He wanted the children, where as the disciples saw it as something out of order, maybe we know we don't have time for that. Already the disciples were being very adult. 
They're being very mature in their mentality and in administration of the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus did not buy into that concept or that idea because they were using a standard of, age, of this age. And he's trying to say, no, no, you're missing the whole point. The children, and that's why it says in that passage very carefully, if you read it, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It doesn't say that children, uh, um, it doesn't say that the kingdom of God belongs to these. In other words, it's not children alone are going to make it to heaven. But the comparison is drawn again to such as or like these. So the characteristics of a child. He's trying to show us the image of a child. If you look at a child and consider a child of six, seven years old, what they are, the qualities, or maybe even the problems of a child that age that God doesn't see that way. And a loving parent or a loving adult, like Jesus in this case, versus the disciples trying to get the kids away from him, they do not see the same things that an adult from a mature perspective may say the child is too childish, we don't have time for that. Jesus was just the opposite, just like, oh no, we got plenty of time for that, bring it on. Bring me the kids. And he liked it and enjoyed it. And he once again said, you, know, you, you need to understand the kingdom. You need to be like this. As this child to even enter the kingdom. In fact, it's expected. And not only did he, he do this, didn't because he's Jesus and he's just dripping with love and no matter, no. Because that's the right way to be. That's the kingdom way to be. And we're going to talk and clarify more and more what I believe he's trying to say through this. It's expected that we love everyone this way, by the way. Uh, the image of a child, the understanding of how a child loves. If you've ever been loved like a child, uh, by a child, you know what love is. A child loves, when a child loves you, there is, it, there's no comparison to that love. I mean, I have three children. I have now three grandchildren. I'm right now looking at my one-month-old grandbaby and he's learning to love me already. I love him, but today cradling him in my arms looking into his little eyes that are just starting to clearly focus on Gigi's face. That's Japanese for grandfather. But looking in my face, he, he's just starting to focus and I'm getting smiles out of him already. Now some people think it's gas, but it's smiles. <laughs> he looks in my eyes and he you know that little baby trying to smile? Sometimes half will smile and it'll go, the other half will smile. But joy is starting to come. Because I, I, I hold him and I look in his face and I love him and, and love will come. I know because I've had children and I've done it. And once you sow, if you sense the thing about children, you sow enough seeds of love, uh, it will be measured back to you. Pressed down, shaken uh, together, it will overflow and come back to you. You will reap a harvest of love that is uncontrolled. Like my children love me. Because I so love into them, now I have so much love, it's too much. Trying to get out of the house to come to this meeting, my daughter uh, come and she had to hug, she had to kiss, she had to hug again. Bye daddy, I, I gotta go honey, I gotta go. Okay, one more hug, one more hug. Because why? I sowed seeds of love and now the harvest is coming back. She loves her daddy. My sons love me. I love my sons. Children love in a way that, that, that we adults could learn from, and that's exactly what Jesus' point is, but we need to clarify that, of course. Imagine if you ignored... I'm talking about the image of a child now. Imagine if you ignored guile and evil and presupposed that every man was not evil. Imagine if you took a human being you know is inherently evil, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and there's a bunch of darkness in us all. I get that. Every man is evil. But imagine if you decided to see them not that way. And you decided, let's say that you were brain damaged, and your brain just did not have the ability to process the thoughts of evil, so you assume that everybody is just kind and loving. I know that sounds pretty naive, but now you're starting to move toward what Jesus is actually expecting from us. That he, if you could do that, what if you looked at them as if they were totally innocent and naive like little children? What if you could do that? Like a little child, you thought of that way. Well, then you're starting to understand the image of a child of what Jesus is trying to teach us. And this is precisely how Jesus 
had decided to treat humanity. That's why the woman caught in adultery was no big deal to him. That's why sinners, publicans and sinners, were no big deal to him. He could eat and drink and have fun with them, and he did not see uh, the evil that the Pharisees were pointing out. It, he did not see the woman with the alabaster box, and if he knew what kind of woman this was, uh, he decided not to see it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That he looks at it that way. He don't see it. Because he decides to be like a child. And the way a child, child don't see evil. A child will run straight in the arms of a tattooed man with a white van and candy. Come here, little boy. <laughs> Obviously evil. You know, the white van with no windows. <laughs> At the side of the road with the engine running and the sliding door open and a, and a lollipop. Yeah, little boy. <laughs> Yay, nice man. No! Horrible man. Don't go there. But the child don't see it. If you start to understand that, you begin to understand how Jesus is looking at you. He, No matter what you've done, no matter what's happening, He sees you like a, like a naive child sees. Oh, it's because He's chosen to forgive. Yeah, but forgiving is truly in its greatest extension forgetting. And if He separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west, they're lying at the bottom of the ocean. There are ocean trenches far deeper, several times deeper than Mount Everest. That's how deep they are, so far away that they're not, they cannot even be seen. He's not aware of them, so He truly looks at you in purity and in innocence. Remember the blood-stained glasses of the Father that Jesus brought and gave to him. That looked through these, that the Father, God of wrath, looks at us through the blood-stained glasses of the work of Calvary, and we are seen as pure and perfect. And He sees us not as we are, but as we will be. He sees us in a pure and a wonderful way. Grace has eyes that are blinded to fault and malice that inherently infects every man. And we should learn to see through grace. Imagine if we decided to look at each other through grace. Imagine if the person of questionable character that I run into at the coffee shop, and I know that's evil epitomized. This is a demon standing in front of me. What if I decide not to see that, but only see a man in pain? Because the pain is so deep. See, what I feel, I'm, you say, why are you weeping? Because... When you start to get the concept, you start to, to log on to the compassion of Christ. It doesn't matter what they look like. You see and feel the love and concern for them. Sure, they made mistakes. Sure, they've done horrible things. But haven't we all? And what if they're not? What if you look at them like they are already like a child? What if they're like a child? You don't see it. It's not easy. We should learn to see through grace. And Jesus is exactly trying to teach this. He continues to explain that we can change. He tells us how. Number two, Jesus wants us to change and become like a child. He actually says here, and He said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but this sounds like an ultimatum. This is pretty much straight up. You want to get in, there's only one way. And unless you do it, you can't make it. It's kind of scary. He's threatening us. That's a threat. That's a threat. If I came to you and, and you know, we are friends and we're going to go out to eat together and we made plans, or let's say that I'm getting married and you're invited and you have an invitation to my wedding, but I come to you and say to you, look, if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you don't wear the right clothes, you cannot enter the wedding. You're not coming. Well, see, that's an ultimate. Either you do what I need you to do and then you can be a part. This is what he's saying concerning this. It's so important. You see, so he's threatening us. And unless you change, you will not enter the kingdom. Apparently, transforming into a childlike person is a prerequisite to entering the kingdom. And without making these changes, we cannot go. And that's why it says it there. 
And this is a serious thing. It means that the key to the door of heaven does not work in the hands of people who are like an adult. If I'm very mature and very adult-like, and I will never be like a child, no. Two, 50 years of age, I've been on earth too long, I know what's right and wrong. I can tell, I can see people, I know. That says that my hand will not be genetically encoded properly to the biometric key of heaven that's supposed to open the door for me. You understand, I put my hand on there and I try to, like, like when you get the faulty... Uh, card passed to your hotel room when you're traveling, you know, and you it's just a little red light and you keep you do it slower, like maybe that will work. Kind of rub it on there and it's not where you have to go back down to reception and get the right one. Imagine if your card is an adult card and the only way that you can get into heaven through the other side of that locked door is with a children's card. You need a child's card. How would you get that card? Well, do you have an adult's card because you're an adult and you're proud to be that and you act like an adult and you're very mature. Your perspectives are adult perspectives. So therefore, you, of course, get an adult pass. Well, that doesn't work. He's saying you can't use that pass to get into the kingdom. <laughs> so I need a child's pass. How am I going to do that? I have to lie to some people. I have to, get, I have to get on my knees, you know, put some sneakers on my kneecaps, kind of walk like I'm short. <laughs> try to get the cheap the children start trying to pretend to be a child to get into the movie for cheaper raise my voice higher I want to see Thor can you give me the children's ticket what are they going to say no stupid old man it's not going to be easy to, to do that I mean we like to look at the rich young ruler who is asked to let everything go and follow, and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but this seems to be just as hard. That we're going to have to become so different than we are, and we take so much pride in our maturity. It's serious. I want the right key pass. I want the right uh, key. I want to be able to get into the kingdom and stay there and live there. So we need to ask ourselves some questions in the light of this second point of Jesus wants us to change and become like a child. Well, let's consider uh, what is an adult and what is a child. What is an adult? Well, an adult is mature and careful, right? A child is immature and careless. Another word would be carefree, right? I use it later, but uh, careless sounds like clumsy idiot. But carefree means they're not so concerned. By the way, if you think, if I, I could go into all the details of the scriptures that back all these things up, but believe me, it's substantiated by the Word of God. Um, anybody that's worried about life, as far as Jesus is concerned, is in sin. He said, don't worry. Why? You consider, consider the lilies, consider the birds. He's saying that there's no, you can't add, you're not going to get taller by your worrying, why are you taking thought? Don't worry about your clothes, your food, and you know, he goes on, he rants about the stupidity and the futility of our worrying. So a child a child is not worried. Sometimes it disturbs me how unconcerned my children are about life. You ever want to put weight on the children? You need to understand that for God's sake, why do you want to do that to a child? Let a child be a child. Let a child be free while they can be free. Don't worry, life's going to catch up to them eventually. But let them be free. Let them have fun. I love for my children to have fun. Why? Because adulthood is coming. And there are responsibilities they are going to have to come up. Well, we want to prepare them for their future. Yeah, when the time comes, in the meantime, let them be immature and careless. So an adult is mature, careful. A child is immature and careless. And an adult is cynical and jaded. That's true. The older you get, the more cynical you become and the more jaded you become. Why? Because you know better. Why? Because you dealt with people. You know what people are capable of. You know what they do. And so you become a lot more pessimistic about relationships and people. In fact, your pool of friends is reduced substantially past the age of 35. You notice that, right? <laughs> Why? Because you got screwed over so many times by people doing horrible things, stupid things, letting you down, hurting you, lying about you. You just started, wait, I don't need some of you. Young, you got like 30 friends. 
and you call them all friends because you have no idea what a real friend is. So you learn and you develop, you start to get hurt, you get calloused, you feel pain, you carry unforgiveness, bitterness. You carry that inside and you start superimposing it judgmentally on other people who have never done anything to you, but now you are guarded, you are jaded, you are cynical. That's an adult. And, it is. and a child is trusting and innocent. The child I told you that's running to the unmarked van with the <laughs> tattooed man with a lollipop. That's just trusting, innocent, so simple in that respect. An adult is clever and cautious. Yeah, we're smart. We've got things figured out now. We are clever. Adults are clever. We're cautious. Wait a minute. Just, just let's think about this. We need to use wisdom. You know the number one poison that stops God's will from being accomplished through man is man's wisdom? Because God will speak and a fire will burn in the heart of man and they will know that God's calling them to do a certain thing and they feel the excitement, the enthusiasm, the anointing, but then they think about it. And they are cautious. Well, you know, we need to use wisdom. We need to be very careful. Now, I don't see a lot of wisdom in busting a hole in a roof and lowering a paralytic through it. I don't see a lot of wisdom in climbing a tree. I don't see a lot of wisdom in screaming out so loud the whole crowd is telling you to shut up, but you keep screaming anyway until Jesus finally says, bring him here. Is there a lot of wisdom climbing on your hands and your knees to sneak up and grab the hem of the garment of Jesus? This is, that's, that's, uh, that's not really cautious. It's not even clever. So everybody you see accomplishing, it's kind of stupid. All these people you see that are accomplishing something in a kingdom understanding and actually getting something done are simple and carefree. Come on, help me. I'm trying to bring this home to you so that you understand why, what Jesus means by what he's saying about a child. What is an adult? An adult doesn't take risks. A child will jump off a cliff if you ask them. They take risks all the time. In fact, most of us adults spend most of our adult life stopping our children from taking risks. Always limiting them from doing things. Don't do steps. Stop that. Get down. Slow down. Put that down. Everything's down. We are downers. Slow down. Put that down. Get down. But they don't have to get down from there. Calm down. <laughs> Children, they're so eager, so excited. Everything's up. Hey, wait up. Wait up. They want it up. Everything's bright. It's the future. It's coming. Hold up. Wait up. Come on. They want to stay up. We say, lay down. Lay down. Children, up. What if we could be that way with regards to God's kingdom, the spiritual principles, the rest of our lives on earth before we make it to eternity? It says that this is the key pass. This is having, we need this. We need to be immature, careless, trusting, innocent, simple, carefree, and take risks. Every time we do it, in Jesus' name, we take those risks, we see things, wonderful things will happen. And without it, it just won't happen. Why? Because miracles happen in the kingdom, not outside the kingdom. The king is in the kingdom. You think you're in the kingdom, but if you're not in the kingdom, and you're not in the presence of the king, there's, when there's no kingdom, and when, that's the way I said, there's no king in the kingdom, then it's just dumb. Take king off of kingdom. It's just dumb. You need to be where the king is. Jesus said, let the little kids come to me. So the children are his company. If you don't like kids, then you won't like the company of Jesus because there he is. I want to be like a child. Number three. Jesus wants us to humble ourselves like a child. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this child, remember, he has an actual physical child standing there as his object lesson and he's probably got his hand on his shoulder discussing in a little boy. How you think that kid is sitting there thinking, hmm, fascinating Jesus. 
No, the kid's picking his nose. And <laughs> eating it and doing kid stuff, you know. Looking around, scratching himself, just, you know, like doing kid stuff. He's a kid. He's not thinking. Jesus is talking. He's getting a little bored, falling asleep. Because he's a child. Whoever humbles himself like this child. Why is he saying this child? Because probably the child was doing something humiliating to himself. Like I said, picking in his nose and eating it. It's salty. No, you're not supposed to do that. A child will shamelessly pick into their butthole while talking to you. And like, what are you doing back there? That's not proper behavior. If we as adults do what children do, we will automatically be humbled. People's assessment of us will, we don't worry, they, you won't be exalted in the eyes of people. You will be seen. Probably as someone with certain mental deficiencies. They may just assume that you're special. People have assumed that about me. Honestly, as I was preparing this today, I realized that I don't, I don't need somebody, I don't need to be humbled. Because I'm very good at humbling myself. Because I'm, I don't care what people think. I'm just, I'm very childish in many ways. I have a, an entire section of my house that's only Star Wars Legos. That's it. I got, I got all of the, you know, the bigger series before Disney took over, things have kind of gone down. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. I have all these Legos. My greatest dream right now, you know, my heart is beating fast even thinking about this, the new Millennium Falcon that's released in the Lego series is awesome. Yeah, it's $2,000, but who cares? <laughs> now, people would think about that and say, people would say, well, that's kind of, they're kind of you're like 50, shouldn't you be more mature than that? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I have fun. I enjoy I enjoy life with my, my family. I enjoy being childish. I like being silly. I want to have fun. I like joking. I like kidding around. I don't so much like practical jokes that physically affect someone, but I do like witty banter. I like speaking things that are funny and having fun ribbing people. I don't mind them talking to me. I love sarcasm. Oh, I love sarcasm. I'm an artist at it. I have, I have degrees of sarcasm. I use about 5% normally because people could not handle me on maximum. It gets so extreme. And people could say, well, that's childish. No, it's, I, I, I'm just, okay, good. Call me child. I'm, I'm so therefore, I'm humble. A child easily humbles himself by his own behavior. The way a child acts. And so the humility of a child comes from his lack of emotional control, honestly. That's why we say calm down. We walk in and see our best friend. What do we do? Hey, how are you? A child walks and sees his best friend. Hey! Hey, look who's here, look who's here, look who's here, look who's What if I did that for you? Go walk, you know, walking down a corridor through Causeway Point, and, and I see you, I see you by the Hagen dazs like, ah! and I run, run through the mall. Hey, 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 come on, let's play, let's play, let's play, let's play, let's play. Come on, oh, 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 let's go see a movie, let's go see a movie. You would see me coming and hide. So I'm specially humbling myself, but you might not want to be humiliated by my behavior. Because <laughs> they have no emotional control. That's actually a very important key. I find if you control your emotions in the presence of the kingdom, in the presence of the spirit, then you will not enter. I find, actually, that... Your entrance, when I say entrance, I mean in a given uh, atmosphere. We worship, presence of the Lord comes. Some people enter, some people do not. Some people go into the Holy of Holies, some people just like the outer courts. And they're happy out there. Hang out with the priests. I think of the old song, Take Me Past the Outer Courts. 
the priest that sing your praise. Some people are just like, I like these priests, so I'm going to hang out of here. I don't need to go all the way in there. It's kind of scary. It's dark everywhere. So they, they, they like hanging out. Some people just so fascinated by the candlestick that that's enough. The bread. Wow, there's 12 of them. Yeah, there's 12 of them. That's nice. It's pretty. They don't go all the way. And if you're restricting your emotions, you're not excited. That's like when the kids, you want to see Sunday morning in here when the kids come. We have, in the Mandarin service, in the Chinese service, when the kids come, you, you have to scream at each other as adults to even hear each other. It's a wild zoom. They are just, and, and I say, let them be kids. Even all the parents, they just sit back looking at the kids vent all this energy into the other kids. And they know that their that their their psychological well-being is dependent upon that. That fun, the releasing that energy in each other's presence. They may not get that, especially not in this nation. We put our kids under so much weight, performance, and school. They have to conform to all of these things. They need at least events somewhere. Let them scream if they want to scream. I like screaming. In our ministry throughout the years, I've always never had a problem with kids. In Mexico, children are given free reign. I don't mind. They would. Come, I would be preaching, and little kids would be rolling dump trucks between my legs and little tumble trucks. I just step over them. Matthew chapter 16. And I just keep teaching. Let, let them. Years ago, I always thought it was funny that, you know, I heard Benny Hinn say in a meeting, I don't have a problem with Benny Hinn, just this one incident I thought was funny. And he said, the baby, the baby's crying. <laughs> Silence the baby, he's going to offend the Holy Spirit. Do you honestly think the Holy Spirit is offended by a baby? No. No, Benny Hinn was offended by the baby crying, and that offended the Holy Spirit. That's how that works. But children, they don't have any control over their emotions. A child is free with their feelings, and they have trouble hiding things. Yeah. If you want people, if I want to know your business, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask your children. <laughs> I can find out anything I want to find out about your family and your personal life. I can find out what's under your bed <laughs> without ever going to your house. You ask a kid, what's under your dad's bed? And he's got some boxes. It's like to start. Just they'll tell you everything. No. <laughs> Don't go asking my little girl Sarah Jane what's in my house. No, she'll, she'll guard her tongue. You can probably get it out of her, but I don't have anything to hide in my house anyway. So you can ask her anything you want. But you know, children, they don't. A child is helplessly transparent. A child just talks and is open. You, know, you notice how quickly relationships form between children versus adults? You know, when we call a friend now at an older age, it takes months for that to become a reality. child takes 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> 10 seconds. In fact, they start off by saying, hey, friend. They don't even know the name of the child, but it's friend. It starts off there. Hey, friend, you want to play? Yeah, you're my best friend in the whole world. Ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and famously, getting along together, having a great time in life. God, what if we could do that? What if somehow the Spirit of the Lord could be allowed to transform us to become that? That humility. You know, I'll tell you this. If we humble ourselves, as this is saying, like a child will, life will not have to do it for us. Because if you do not humble yourself, life will humiliate you. You're going to get humbled either way. Better that it be by your own hands. That you make the choices to decide, I'm going to, I'm, I don't care, I'll just be goofy, I'll be silly. That's why I'm not welcome at pastor's conferences. I make a mess of things. I get too real, too fast, and they get too nervous. I was at a pastor's conference one time, a couple hundred pastors were there, and they were 
having the testimony moment where they go around asking people, you know, what do you give praise to God for? And they're like, I praise the Lord that I have 260 people in my group. And I praise the Lord that I have their privilege, you know, going around everybody. And then every time somebody says something, yes, clapping, it's like a pep rally. They're all excited. They get to me. And I say, I think God is saving me from myself. You could hear crickets. <laughs> no, everybody, they went like. <laughs> that's just too serious. That's too. It's time. Immediately, of course, immediately the, the thought in the mind is, who's that guy? <laughs> He's weird. <laughs> See, but that way I don't have to be humiliated. I'm already humble. I'm real. Just be real. Be yourself. Be yourself. Child is helplessly transparent and open with opinions and ideas. And this is the opposite of the pretense of adults. We're so pretentious about all things. But if we humble ourselves, uh, life won't have to do it for us. And self-humbling is what this means. We either humble ourselves or we will be humiliated. And pride comes before the fall. You walk in pride, you're going to fall anyway. I've, I've lived it. I'm the greatest example of a fall that's coming because of pride in my life. I never forget, uh, I was traveling, and you've heard, some of you heard this story before, but there's some new people here, so I want you to hear it because it's just that good, bad, good, good <laughs> slash bad. I, I, was, I went to the, I'm getting ready to fly somewhere, crusades, you know, I'm teaching, preaching in the nation's great missionary man of God, and I go in the bathroom, and I, you know, you know that moment where you step up to the mirror and you're going to fix your hair and you realize it's perfect? My hair was already perfect. I can't look at it. Wow. I felt really good. I had a new jacket on. You know, I thought, okay. I get my bag. You know, I had this carry bag. I'd already checked my other bag, so I had a carry-on. It had a long strap, and it sits on your side like a lot of people's bags do. And I'm walking along. I'm walking between two gates. On one side, a 777 is loading up with about 350, 400 people. The other side, we have a 747, 400 series uh, loading up with close to 600 people. I mean, just, and it's both are loading. So you're looking at over 1,000 people, about 1,000 people crowding in this area. And I'm walking right in that moment. And as I'm walking, I'm looking around thinking, you know, look at me. Have you ever seen a specimen like me? Yeah. This is inside my mind, right? And as I do, I took one step, and the, the strap slipped off the shoulder. And as it did, the back started, so I had just had enough time, because I'm, I'm walking about this fast, you know. And so I just had enough time to catch the bag and make a step. Now, when I made this step, the strap had already fallen down onto the ground, and so this foot went through the loop. I pulled the bag up to keep it from falling, which cinched it higher, and then this, it looped, doubled over, and this foot went through the, the twisted loop. So I had a figure eight strap for my bag that now I'm pulling up tight to not drop, locking my ankles together, add a momentum. So you know what happened? I'm walking along, and literally it happened this fast. She boom, just, when I hit the ground, the airport shook. <laughs> The whole airport went <laughs> dead silence, and a thousand people from both sides turned. That's my definition of pride coming before the fall. Fly back to life, it's gonna happen. I'd, I'd rather just lay down on the floor. Just get it over with. I'm going down, okay? I'm gonna get in here. Which reminds me, I will sleep on the floor in an airport. I don't care. If I'm tired, I'm, I'm laying, you know, and you, nobody's doing it, right? I'm gonna tell you something interesting. Whenever I do it, and I'm just tired, I forget it. I'm on a connecting flight, I'm in Beijing, or whatever. I'm, I need some sleep, because I can't sleep in those little chicken coop seats at the store. And I can't afford business or first, so I get this seat that is skinnier than my rear. But I make it work, and I'm okay. I'm not going to complain. I'm happy doing whatever. But I'm, if I'm tired, I'll lay, and I'll lay down, just stretch out. I won't even always look for a secret place. I'm just in the middle of like an intersection of, you know, A wing, B wing. I just like, like lay out, put my bag under my head, set my timer. 
and just sleep. Every time I do it, I go to sleep and I make it a cup. When I wake up, there's about 12 or 15 people sleeping around. I swear. Because all it takes is one person who don't care to unlock other people. So that... I get, the, I get it. Yeah, okay, let's let him. And they go to sleep. In other words, in a relationship, if we want to be like a child, we have to start, number four, uh, Jesus wants us to treat others like a child. Whoever welcomes a little child like this, in my name, welcomes me. Now, understand what this means. How do you treat a child? Uh, what do you expect from a child? Uh, how patient are you with a child? Aren't you very patient? As compared to how patient you will be with me as an adult. I talk to adults, I talk to children. It's a very different language, isn't it? If I talk to Eric, hey Eric, how you doing? What's been, what's been going on? How are you? But if I talk to Valerie's little Gabriel, I'm like, hey Gabriel, what you doing buddy? What's that? You know that you change, right? Well, you change to become endearing and kind and patient and gentle. Your pitch of your voice changes. How do you defer to a child? You bow to them. You, you understand that they're just a child and you, you expect nothing from them but a child. This is what this means. It means to receive, actually the Greek word for welcome means to receive someone in a welcoming way. Just say, you're, you just come in and do whatever you want. Totally open, without laws or rules. Imagine if we built relationships on that premise. That when we meet people, we connect to them. As soon as we meet them, hey, how are you doing? Talk to them like we're Joel Osteen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, brother. Jesus wants us to be so happy. Joel. He's got great. He's, I, I agree. Yeah, why not? Why be sad? Why be miserable? I believe it's a choice. A long time ago, I learned that you have a choice. You either get, you get better or you get bitter. It's your choice. Joseph mastered it. He could have gotten bitter. No, he got better in the midst of the worst. And so it's a choice. And what if we treat people in this way? Receive them, welcome, love them. How patient are you with the child? Be that way with everybody. How understanding, how forgiving are you to a child when a child just says things and things that could offend you and hurt you no it's just that you, you understand why because it's a child come on just a little boy he, he doesn't it's okay and the parents will be embarrassed they do sometimes, sometimes Gabriel will do things to me and like George is like all nervous he's like Gabriel calm down get down you know what I'm saying and I know, no, he's okay. Leave him alone, really. I love, I love. You know, I will come, I do little flips with him. We have fun. When I have time to do it, I do that. And I receive. Imagine if I did that with Matthew. <laughs> come on, Matthew. Come on. <laughs> and I pick Matthew's up and flip him over. Wouldn't that be odd to see Matthew? He'd be a little disoriented. Tickle, tickle Caleb. I don't need to tickle Caleb. The Holy Ghost does a very good job. I love when Caleb gets to the phase where he's like, stop, stop telling God to stop. In pain, because the, the Lord will tickle us. <laughs> <laughs> now you see you have a choice right now you be an adult and control that or be a child and let it go <laughs> think about how mature Suzanne is she's a dignified woman prestigious in our society and environment thing that she would ever allow to happen is something that would humiliate her with the appearance of a lack of dignity. Right? So. Or she could choose to be a little girl in the hands of her father. 
when, da when daddy tickles her, and says, hey, baby. <laughs> Joy, this joy unspeakable, full of glory. The joy of the Lord is full of glory. It's supposed to be. Like a child. You ever notice how much children laugh? That's all they do is laugh. Why do we want to stop them from laughing? We tell kids all the time, would you stop laughing? I have a joke in my home when my kids are laughing and laughing and laughing. I come in and I say, cheer up, guys. It makes them laugh even harder. I love laughter. Laughter's a lot cheaper than the medicine that you have to buy in this place. Because the Bible says that laughter does good like a medicine. And if my kids laugh, they don't get sick. So I want them to laugh. Have a good time. They won't get a hold of yourself. Adults in here and act like children. Somebody will walk in and think they're in a nursery. It's like the kindergarten in here. Number five. Jesus wants us not to cause another child to stumble. You sounded just like this this, uh, this young calf in India. One time I was in India doing that meeting, and they had this calf pinned up, and the calf had the same frequency as the human voice. And I did not know that it was a calf. And I'm teaching, in the middle of my teaching, I hear, <laughs> and I think, who's. But I keep teaching. And like every few, every 10 seconds, yeah. like, what is going on here? Because it was like the same pitch as a human voice. Matthew 18, verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones, remember he's got the child standing in the middle of them, now he's pointing at You cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and actually, it's, it's sin is a mistranslation. It's stumble, uh, not miss the mark, like the traditional word for sin. It's more like stumble. In fact, another translation says stumble, uh, but the NIV is what it is. It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person for whom they come. In other words, a child is a child acting like a child. And if you do something to stop them from being that way, God says, woe to you. Remember what he said to the Pharisees? You travel land and sea looking to make proselytes. You convert these people and you put heavy burdens on them and you don't even lift one finger to help them with it. Religion is a stench in the nostrils of God that oppresses and crushes people. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is His kingdom. And that's what He wants for us. Like little children. Literally, that word actually means where it says sin or where it means to stumble. It means to put a snare in the way. To cause the stumble. To give offense. It's, the same way. It's, it's like, imagine a man who's cruel to children and takes advantage of their naivete and does things to them to hurt them and gets his kicks off of them. First of all, if I catch you doing that to my children, we're gonna, I'm going to minister to you with the fivefold ministry. I will lay hands on you. You know, think of it as a parent. That's what I'm doing. No matter how old my children are, they're still my babies. I have a 25-year-old 20, baby. To me, he's a, I see him still, and I hug him like a baby and kiss his forehead. He's my, that's my baby. That's my firstborn. My little baby. My second is my baby. My daughter is my baby. They will always be my babies. When I'm 100 years old, 
and they're already old. That's going to be my baby. It's never going to change. The way I feel about them is how my father feels about me. And if he catches somebody curtailing my expression of joy and freedom, he's angry. I almost said pissed, but I wouldn't want to say that. He's angry. He's angry about that. The father gets angry when people limit and control people from being like a child. Now, I'm not going to do that here, certainly. I want everybody to be like a child because our entrance into the kingdom depends upon us being like children. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.